Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. We're in and we're off. The Premier League season is underway. And if the first weekend of action is anything to go by, it is going to be a cracker of a season. 35 goals across the weekend. Big names failing to fire. Dominant displays from old favourites and some new stars shining bright in the Premier League. We're going to spend a lot of today's podcast looking back at a brilliant curtain raiser and what signs are there for the rest of the season. This is Football Social Daily. I'm Jim Salverson. And to do that, we have the always positive, never dour, and constantly upbeat pairing of Niall McCorn and Marley Anderson. Hello, boys. Hello, Jim. We're like those two Muppets. Yeah. I can't remember what they're called. Uh, yeah, the two old fellas. Butler or something like <laughs> yeah. that. I know exactly who they're called. Yeah. You, just, you just let me know when I can moan about Steve Bruce and I'll, I'll, I'll just chip in. We might not even get to Steve Bruce today. We, but also, we, we might. We might do. He'll find a way to crow. I will shoehorn the, the, a man who is hard to shoehorn in any situation. If you want a blow-by-blow, game-by-game account of the weekend's action, you can go back in the timeline and find yesterday's podcast, Sunday night's podcast, with Ty and Anne and Fergal talking about the weekend's action. But we're going to pick a few highlights and lowlights out of the weekend, as there was. And, of course, there are three weeks left of the transfer window as well. Still some deals to be done there. So we're going to discuss some of the potential money spent and who it could be spent on later in today's show. If you're a fan of Arsenal, Spurs, Leeds, Chelsea, you're going to want to hear what's being said there. But let's crack on with a little look back at the weekend's action. You heard of the post-season awards. We're going to do a bit of a after-one-game-of-the-season awards ceremony today, looking back at the best of the last three days and what potentially we can learn from the opening weekend of football as well. Very easy to get carried away after one game, but let's pick out some highlights. I've got some categories I want you to make your nominations in as we look at the best of the weekend. So, first, everyone gets very excited when their club makes a new signing. But out of all the debut performances across the weekend, 
Who shone brightest on their very first outing for their club? Marley. Out of everyone, I, I quite liked um, the the impact uh, Trevor Chalaber had for Chelsea. Um, played a lot in pre-season and you think, oh, you know, is, is this going to carry on? Is Tuchel going to trust him in the first game of the season sort of thing? Um, it was a fairly straightforward game against Crystal Palace, obviously, because, you know, they're not going to turn Chelsea over at Stamford Bridge too many times in the in the coming years. But um, he was brilliant. I thought he's... His overall performance in a back three was perfect. He he was brave with the ball. He brought it out of defence. And he ended up scoring an absolute screamer as well, which uh, he didn't need to do to cap his performance. But he, he did it anyway. And um, my favourite thing about it was that he would never have shot if there wasn't a, an empty stadium. He would have passed it to the right. But, you know, 30,000, 40,000 people screamed shoot. And he went, yeah, all right, then I'll have, I'll have a dig. And he turns out he can hit a ball better than half the players in that team by the looks of it because he absolutely smashed it in the bottom corner. Um, and capped a, a proper top performance from him from a, a lad who's had a lot of loans, as m- many Chelsea players have. Um, I think he was on loan uh, last season at Lorient in in France, which was a random one. Um, I think they went down as well. So you know he, he doesn't tend to to get too many chances in the English top flight. It was his first game. He's been at Huddersfield and Ipswich before that. Um, much like his brother Nathaniel, who was one time playing for England, because he was mm. once he started playing first team football, Nathaniel, he started getting like very a lot applauded sort of thing. So it's similar for Trevor. He's a little bit younger. I think he's three or four years younger. Um, but fair play to him. He's he's took his chance really well, and uh, we'll see if he he lasts next week in uh, Tuchel's tombola of, uh, <laughs> of a team selection. I was going to say, do you think we'll see more of him as the season goes on? Because I mean, there is competition for places in pretty much every Premier League team apart from West Ham at the moment do you think I mean Chelsea more so than many do you think he is one of those players that we're going to see more and more of as the season goes on I mean I guess Thiago is probably going to be favourite to squeeze him out yeah probably um, it dep- I think it just depends on the game you know Crystal Palace at home you're not going to need Thiago Silva you are going to need him on the Wednesday in the Champions League when you're playing you know I don't know, AC Milan or Inter or whoever you get in the group stage. So there's there's got to be chances for, that, for him there, hopefully. Um, it might make them think we don't need Jules Koundé from, from mm. Sevilla because um, we can use him. So It just makes you realise how important it can be to have a good pre-season. Mm. You know, like Marley said, he had a good mm. pre-season and he's coming to the team. And I just wonder what someone like Fikayo Tomori is thinking. He's probably left to go to AC Milan thinking, not really going to get a chance here. Uh, at Chelsea I'm going to get first team football European football with AC Milan and you know he's gone and then all of a sudden a kid has stepped up to take his place so it's just funny how things work at Chelsea I think you know Marley highlighted it there the amount of players that they've got that they can call upon from loans and stuff like that I think that obviously helps them it's weird how how he gets a chance and Tammy Abraham never had a kick under Tuchel now Mm. he's at Roma he's just arrived in in Italy yesterday so Mm. I don't know, it's just a bit strange, isn't it? Like, obviously, we don't see what goes on behind the scenes, but we don't see Tammy Abraham as a guy who, who's sort of demanding and I need to play. Like, he was sort of ready to fulfil his potential in the England squad and stuff like that when yeah. he was playing. And then Tuchel comes in just goes, I don't fancy you. I'm going to go and sign Lukaku instead. I need but one. But sometimes that's it. Striker. It just comes yeah. down to not being fancied by a manager, doesn't it? I'm sure Kurt Zuma was 
disappointed not to get a shout at the weekend. And, uh, and yeah. training as well. I remember when we had Ben Jarney at Portsmouth and Harry Redknapp was the manager and he said he spent, well known, he spent two days collecting balls from the M27 because Ben Jarney couldn't <laughs> keep the ball on target. So I think that just goes to show that it isn't always about what happens on the training ground, I suppose. Speaking of Portsmouth, I reckon I know who you've picked for your um, your debut. It's going to be the Southampton right-back, <laughs> Liveramento, who had, a, who had a brilliant game, apparently. I didn't see the Southampton game, but apparently really good reports from him as a young right-back coming into the team. Is that your pick, Noel? Definitely not. They lost 3-1 <laughs> and crosses into the box from that side. I'm not sure I'm having that, to be honest. I mean, if you're talking about a Southampton player and a new sign-in who did well... You'd have to look at Adam Armstrong. Took mm. his chance well. First game in the Premier League for Southampton on his debut. Mistake from Michael Keane. Picked up the ball well and had to finish beyond Pickford and did so. But my favoured new signing um, is a it's a bit of an anomaly here. Um, it would have to be Rafa Benitez. Going behind 1-0. And I know technically he's not a player. Mm. But to win his game 3-1, uh, his first game uh, in charge at Goodison Park as well, having fallen behind with all that pressure of being a former Liverpool manager... I think he deserves utmost credit. So that's a little bit of a cheap choice there to go for Rafa. But if you're talking in terms of a player, uh, I'm going to go for Emmanuel Dennis, who uh, made his debut in the Premier League for Watford, who has shown uh, flashes of what a good player he can be. I think he was at Club Bruges in Belgium before. Um, Lots of hype around him. He's played in both European competitions, the Champions League and the Europa League. Uh, Now in the Premier League with Watford and him and Ismail Assar together, I mean, Saar was their big name signing at Watford a couple of seasons ago and they got relegated and there was a lot of pressure on him because they spent a decent amount of money on him. But he's had that season in the championship. Watford have come up um, and he's performed well and he, he was at it again at the weekend, Ishmael Saar. But Emmanuel Dennis, I thought, impressed. And a 3-2 victory over an Aston Villa side who themselves have spent money on new players mm. this summer, uh, including Leon Bailey, who did score a goal for them in that 3-2 result. Um, I, I thought Dennis looked, looked really, really good. And on the whole, actually, it's been a pretty strange opening weekend because you haven't seen that many debutants and new signings feature. Raphael Varane was unveiled by Manchester United against Leeds at Old Trafford before the game. Sancho came off the bench, but, you know, Manchester United were already, I think, 4-1 or 5-1 up at the time. So you can't really read too much into that. Um, Grealish's first game was a bit of a busted flush. But again, mm. you never know the first day of the season always throws up some weird results. So... In general, I think a lot of the signings we haven't seen. Lukaku's another example. We didn't see him. So I definitely think there's more to come from the new signings we've seen this season. But but on the whole, I think probably Dennis from the players we did see would be my choice. Quite often with new signings, they do need time to bed in. So expecting them to hit the ground running in their first games can maybe lead to disappointment. In terms of results, I mean, you probably highlighted one of them there in terms of the Watford results against Aston Villa. If we're talking about best result of the weekend, objectively... Who do you think will be most pleased coming away with three points or maybe even one point from the weekend's actions now? It's got to be Man United, hasn't it? Mm. Against Leeds, you know, you could hardly have asked for a more intense start to the season. A rivalry which last season threw up a 0-0 and a 6-2 and a Leeds side who, I mean, you know, some people have said that they're a little bit Jekyll and Hyde in terms of sometimes you think they're going to win 4-0 and then they might lose 4-0 and they were on the receiving end against Manchester United and you know, Paul Pogba was inspired, four assists, Bruno Fernandes, a brilliant hat trick, three goals. Um, and I think, Marley, you said this on Twitter, imagine, you know, being 5-1 up and then you've got Jaden Sancho to bring off the bench. I mean, pretty frightening. And 
Fun yeah. fact, that was my girlfriend that tweeted that. I was driving. So <laughs> <laughs> I was transcribing. I was like, Kelly, do a tweet Yeah, for Kelly, me. tweet this for us. Jordan yeah. Sanchez. Who's Jordan Sanchez? <laughs> <laughs> no, she had Jaden Sanchez. She spelled it like J-A-Y-D. And I was like, no, 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 delete that. I look Make like sure a right idiot. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think Manchester United, you have to give it to them. And, you know, they'll have hopes of a title charge this season. And although they finished second behind Manchester City in the Premier League last season, it wasn't really a title race as such. It was open up until Christmas and then City really charged towards the crown in the end, didn't they, Mm. with that run of form. And I think Manchester United will be hoping with the additions they've made and Varane and Rashford and Sancho still to come into the squad that they'll have a great chance of success this season. Is it ridiculous to think of Bruno Fernandes as a potential golden boot winner? I mean, he's got off to a great start and he does score penalties which add to his goals from open play and his free kicks. I don't think it is ridiculous to think that at all. And like you say, the set pieces are a major factor in that. And he's shown that from open play, he's able to score those goals as well. And that 10 position, you want goals from attacking Mm. midfielders. That's what you want. You know, you'd be concerned if players aren't scoring goals. I mean, it's never as common a shout to go for a midfielder. I mean, you think of someone like Frank Lampard who played box to box and was always up there for golden boot races because he scored penalties, free kicks, and he was always lurking and sniffing around for a goal. But yeah, Bruno Fernandes, I mean, an impressive display and, you know, what a start to the campaign for him. And it was a shame that there was no fans to see Man United against Leeds last season because I think it is an underrated rivalry between between two pretty big clubs, to say the least. There's a lot of intensity there, particularly with the way Bielsa plays as well. The intensity is always going to be off the, off the scale. But the fact of the matter is... There were no fans last season. That means it's been almost 10 years since that fixture has been played in front of supporters. So even though it wasn't the outcome that Leeds fans wanted, um, what a great occasion at Old Trafford. You know, 70 plus thousand in, six goals. Welcome back to the Premier League season. So for me, the result has to be that. I mean, I I don't think you can look beyond Manchester United. It was a great result and Paul Pogba was absolutely fantastic in that game. Impressed everyone except Graham Souness. So impressive from Paul Pogba. Marley. What yeah. about you? What Who do you think would be most pleased with their result from the weekend? Are you going with Manchester United Leeds as well? No, I'm, I'm, I'd have to go for Watford, beating um, beating Aston Villa. I didn't watch much of the game, but, you know, they, they got it done. And, uh, you know, Villa, a lot of hype around Villa, um, you know, had the, had a good transfer window and, you know, he, you know, without Grealish as well, you know, you've got to factor that in. But they've replaced him and then some. Um you know, Ings and everyone coming in, Bailey coming off the bench and stuff like that. They're thinking, you know, we can get top six and what have you. Um, and then they were brought crashing back down to earth by Watford and their their latest manager. <laughs> so I just think Villa are starting to trying to run before they can walk a little bit with with the players they've got. Um, I think they're a good team, but I feel that they're acting a little bit obliged. Yeah, we're definitely going to have a run at the top eight. I think they've still got work to do to do that. Um, they only finished 11th last season. 11th to 8th is not doesn't seem like a big jump, but in terms of quality, it really is. In Could that be a case of players bedding in, though? Because you mentioned Danny Ings yeah, and be, Buendia yeah. and Bailey. They are all new faces that have only been together, what, a yeah. week? But they got yeah. outplayed by Watford. I don't, I don't think there's any, is any argument against that. They got outplayed by Watford. And uh, it's the first day of the season, so you can't read. I mean, Manchester City lost at the weekend. Mm. I mean, we could even be talking about Tottenham winning as the sort of the result of the weekend, beating Manchester City by a goal to nil. But City lost 5-2 to Leicester on the opening day of last season and they cantered to the title. Mm. So if you're talking about opening day victories, you know, or or defeats or draws or whatever, it doesn't always matter too much. I think the first couple of weeks of the season is always going to be a challenge. 
I have to say, I do think that Spurs result was really important for a Spurs team who had so many question marks over them going into this season. Playing that first game without Harry Kane, either in, even in the squad, new manager, I thought the front three of... Who was it? Um, Lucas Moura, Bergvine, and yeah, looked absolutely superb as well. So I think that is a big result for Spurs. We're going to talk now about something else, maybe not a best moment or a best highlight or anything like that, but potentially the best implementation of VAR (laughs) I think we've seen for some time. In the Euros, it seemed that VAR was got right. There weren't too many controversial moments, there weren't too many big talking points. And I can't remember the last time we had a... Premier League weekend where we've come away from it going that should have been questioned more that should have been analysed more that was the wrong decision as a result of VAR but I think we might be in that position as a result of the weekend there were goals that were scored that previously might not have stood that were allowed to stand because the offside lines are thicker now I think Bruno Fernandes is one of his goals from Manchester United so have we finally got VAR right are we okay with it now do you think this is a good sign going into the season no, no, we haven't got it right um, because it's still there and I'd rather not have it at all. And, you know, you talk about the last time we didn't speak about VAR or technology controversies. That was probably the last weekend of the season before VAR came in. So what's that, two or three campaigns ago mm. now? So that's probably when it was. And, you know, the problem is with technology is even though its aim is to get more decisions correct, you're never going to eliminate that controversy. It is ingrained in the sport of football that you are always going to get people arguing that a penalty was a penalty or it wasn't or the referee was wrong or it was a marginal offside or it wasn't. You're always going to get that, whether you've got technology or not. That is always going to be there. But to be fair, I mean, it's just common sense. And I think the forensic side of VAR has kind of been abandoned a little bit, which has actually led to a more entertaining game. Mm. You know, and people saying that, VAR decisions add to the entertainment and the drama. They do in a way, but not not in the way that you enjoy. And I think that the changing of these rules, and we've said it on the podcast in the past about the two lines touching. If there's a gap between the two lines, then you give the benefit of the doubt and, or whichever way around it is. But that's what they've been using in the Dutch League for years. For the last three years, they've been doing that in the Dutch League. It's just the Premier League seems to have a fascination and English football in general seems to have this obsession with doing things our own way. And why, why is that? Why can't we be uniform and conform with what everyone else in Europe does? You know, and there's a reason why our referees weren't picked for the World Cup because we didn't know how to use VAR. There's a reason there weren't many English referees in the Euros because we're quite inexperienced in VAR. And also, you know, the, the, the officiating is, is a, it's a difficult thing to do. Let, let's not make any bones about that. I don't want to disrespect referees too much because it's a, an exceptionally hard job. But I do think that you know, it's taken. Why has it taken three years for just us to get this right? I mean, it, sh- it, sh- it should be should have been taken advice off of other leagues. I think people are saying like we're getting this right, but we've got it right for one week. Out yeah, of, precisely. Out of, precisely. Well, how long we had it now? Two seasons, is it now? Yeah, yeah but oh. I think we can say the signs yeah, are there. For all I've heard this week is, oh, we've got VAR right this week. So, well, you know. About good. <laughs> if yeah. I drive as, to the as, shop as, without as, crashing one week out of twenty, I'm still a crap driver. Right? As Roy Keane <laughs> you know would say, I mean? they're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's just. I don't know. A lot of it's this week. Oh, we've got VAR right. Oh, have we? Well, ask me again in ten weeks because I'm sure this one of these podcasts will be moaning about it, and I could even moan about it for the weekend because Jacob Murphy's tackle on Pablo Fanals was a good tackle, mm. and there shouldn't have been a penalty. Yet somebody somewhere has went that's a penalty, probably because he dived in. You're not allowed to dive 
anymore. You're not allowed to slide or lunge for the ball because you're out of control and all that stuff. So, you know, do, have we got it right or have we got it right in the big games that everyone cares cares about? So. Yeah. I'd, I'd question that. All right, more work to do there. We're going to take a break on Football Social Daily now. We're going to talk about how the weekend's results, even though it's only one game, might affect our predictions for the teams going down and the teams potentially lifting the Premier League trophy. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Looking back at the first weekend of action, now there were some interesting results at the weekend. We've already talked about Manchester United's dominant win over Leeds United, maybe them delivering more than we expected. Liverpool ran out 3-0 winners against Norwich. Tottenham got a 1-0 win against Manchester City. So how have those performances affected how we're going to view the season going forward? Are there going to be changes to our predictions as to who might win and also who might potentially be relegated as well? Let's start with the game last night. Manchester City versus Tottenham. Tottenham winning 1-0. We've already talked about it briefly. Now, Marley, you said previously that you thought City were going to win this title without Harry Kane. If they signed Harry Kane, it was a surefire thing and they'd waltz the title. After that game, do you still agree with that statement? A few people are putting that loss down to the fact that City don't have that focal point. They don't have that striker that they can channel through. Mm, I think look, I think it's going to be tighter than last season, of course, but I, I still think Man City will, will win it. I think yesterday, you seen when De Bruyne come on, they got a lot better. Mm. And I just think, you know, we're, we're looking at Man City without Foden and, and De Bruyne last night and Walker and Stones, and you can you can chuck a few players in at that. I think Stones would have defended uh, their goal a lot better than Nathan Ake did. I'm, I'm really starting to worry about Ake because every time I see him, he looks he looks very wobbly um, and not like he was at Bournemouth. But he's playing next to Benjamin Mendy. Well, like that, got, well, that's another got thing. Got a yeah, certain amount of sympathy for him. But he's also got Diaz on the other side of it. I don't. Well, yeah, but if you tack down his left hand side, you you get at Mendy rather than Cancelo or, or or Walker if he comes back in. But it's just like I I do wonder about Man City with like the money they've got available. You know, do you need Grealish and Kane or do you need a left back that you have done for four years now? Like Zinchenko is the best left back at that club by an absolute mile. Um, and if not, I'd even stick Laporte over there. If if Son was on their right hand side, I'd have stuck Laporte over there at left back and see if he wanted to play there. If I don't know where his head's at at the minute because he seems to want to leave, but I'd still have, have put a guy who can defend rather than Benjamin Mendy, who's who's gonna worry uh, everyone when he gets anywhere near the ball in a defensive position. So, um, but I think Man City with the way they played it, it it was typical Man City in the fact that. When teams are eight behind the ball, nine behind the ball, they're too slow with it. The mm. two, the tempo, it's it's all you know. A lot of um, criticism was levelled at Spain in the Euros for being boring, just passing it round and keeping <laughs> possession and not and not probing. And but doesn't that come down to not having that focal point? Like if you've got a striker, you can ping it into who can get you a goal. Doesn't no. that speed the play up? No, I think I think if you speed the play up and you've got, if you can move the opposition around, you you create more space. And that allows for someone like, like Ferran Torres is is mm. fantastic finisher. He's great in the box. So is Jesus when he comes on. But um, they were just sort of going left to right and then, you know, back to the left again, back to the right, then we'll pull it back and then there's no there's no one going in behind. And it was just too slow and 
Yeah. You just you never thought, you know, they're gonna score here. And then De Bruyne come on and I think the first thing he did was like whip a ball into that horrible channel that defenders can't deal mm. with and Larice did really well to take it, I think. But it was like, well, that's the first bit of actual probing that Man City have done in, in ages. They it kept going to Grealish, he kept getting tackled because Tanganga was fantastic. Did you not get deja vu watching that game though? Because I've se- we've seen that City sort of performance. Yes. Mm. Every time they play badly, they play like that. Yeah, they do. And, and it's like it's something we've seen. It happens. Pep Guardiola's teams do that every now and again. Yeah. They'll have. A, I mean, often it comes in the Champions League in yeah. pressure games. Yeah. But actually, first game of the season, we've seen them do that on a number of occasions. They just look a bit lost. They've got the possession, but they don't have that killer instinct mm. and that. It's almost yeah. like they're waiting for the space to appear, and it doesn't. And it never. So and then time runs do. out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we've seen them do that so many times. So I don't think it's too much of a concern. But the, on, the only way I would, I would sort of say that they need a striker to to win that kind of game is the fact that they don't cross the ball enough. Like, when they get wide, like, when you when you try to break teams down, the space is out wide because they're all between the 18-yard box and just snuffing you out. You can't throw in a pass through, really. Yeah. So the, the, the space comes out wide, so you have to whip crosses in, and they've got no one in there that can head the ball because they're all yeah. under six foot. And Kane's exceptionally Which is why they should have signed, yeah. signed, well, they need to sign Kane or, in my opinion, Haaland because he's six foot four. Yeah. And he probably wins more headers than, than Kane does. I mean, but, but it's, they have it's no plan B. It's just any, we'll just pass it. Yeah, any strike is going to be feeding off cutbacks mm. when they go to City. It's yeah. just how it's going to work. And you have cutbacks, what? And you've got eight men in the box. It's harder to get a cutback because the cutback has to be, you know, so precise that, you know, everyone's in there and try to clear it. I mean, rule out Manchester City at your peril, but there are a couple of other teams snapping at their heels potentially. I think the odds on Man City. Winning the league have longened, longened is it longened? Even a word, lengthened. <laughs> and you've got other teams as well who have kind of shortened their odds. In particular, Chelsea, mm-hmm. who had a good win against Palace at the weekend. You had Liverpool; they won three nil against Norwich, even though it was only Norwich. Manchester United dominant win against Leeds United, as we've mentioned already. Those teams, Niall, have strengthened their cases for a Premier League title. I think probably before the weekend, no one was necessarily considering Manchester United. But they've got Edison Cavani still to come back. Mm. They've got Varane, as we said, unveiled. He's going to come in and probably replace Lindelof. So they're looking pretty promising now. Yeah, I think with Manchester United, it's against the teams that let them have possession is where they tend to have struggled under Solskjaer in recent seasons, finding a way through. And defensively, a partner for Harry Maguire was always a bit of a concern. But they've got that now with Varane. We don't know how he's going to adapt. I'm sure he'll be absolutely fine. I mean, there's a lot of people saying that, oh, we don't know how he's going to do. You know, the Geezer's won a World Cup. He's won multiple (laughs) Champions Leagues. I'm sure he'll be all right coming in against Crystal Palace and teams like that. (laughs) But to be fair... He's yet to come in, so we don't quite know exactly who is Lali Gazanza to Benteke. Do we know? Braithwaite. No, and then obviously Sancho. I mean, got a flash of him at the weekend, um, and he's an exceptional player with a great record in an excellent league, the Bundesliga, with a top team like Dortmund. So you know, he's someone who's got plenty of potential. And then Rashford, who's consistently proven with the numbers, even though some people expect more from Marcus Rashford, I still think there is more to come from him. And he's yet to come in. And then there's Cavani as well. Uh, such an experienced forward player. Mason Greenwood, you saw how deadly his finishing is. Uh, another example of that at the weekend. So I think going forward, Manchester United do look good. There are still a couple of question marks over those defensive midfield positions at the moment. You know, you're looking at Matic, Fred and McTominay. And uh, is that, if there was a weak link in the United team, 
is it that and probably the goalkeeper as well? Henderson mm. not playing, De Gea in there. So those are where the question marks lie for Manchester United. But for Chelsea, I think for me, they're probably just slightly ahead of United in terms of title contenders because they beat Crystal Palace convincingly, you know, centre-backs and marauding forward and scoring goals for them. Lukaku is still to come in and I said this a few times on the show, Lukaku with a point to prove and a sort of a, a, a fire in his belly to get back at his critics after a couple of years away where he's improved himself as a player. Um, £100 million price tag. He is a goal machine and uh, I think that would really make Chelsea a fearsome side with Werner and Havertz running on the outside of him. I think that, that could be uh, a really well, dangerous thinking, thing. Imagine Werner coming off the bench when you've been run ragged yeah, by absolutely rapid, Lukaku yeah. and then for like 60 minutes and you've got Werner yeah. coming in and playing through the middle. So yeah. it is, you know, they've Lukaku got, will like, soften def- you up and batter you around and then you've got Werner to come on and run, yeah. you, run yeah. you to pieces. Yeah. They've got the fastest and the strongest strike partnership like they've got the two, the fastest striker which is probably Werner can't think of anyone else mm. really and then the strongest in Lukaku <laughs> yeah so, Jesus Christ yeah, alright and, good luck with that and you know what if, you if take, they click that's it ex- yeah and if you take a sample of how Chelsea performed last season in those big games I'm thinking in like the Champions League semi-final was it Atletico Madrid they played mm. and they just closed the door perfectly mm. and they defended perfectly but they've shown against Crystal Palace at the weekend that they have that propensity to attack as well and that's the thing in these Premier League seasons now, if you've got a close title race, we saw it a couple of years ago with City and Liverpool, it basically boiled down to the games between those two sides when they went head-to-head. And Manchester City came out on top. And I think it was like a goal-line technology decision which almost cost you know Liverpool the league in the end, unfortunately for them. But Chelsea, I think, will be able to show those defensive uh, capabilities in the bigger games when they come up against a more threatening attack but in the games in which they're expected to win, I don't think they'll be shy in taking the attack to the opposition with mm. the likes of Lukaku. So I think in terms of a rounded side with bases covered, now that Lukaku's come in, I think you have to put Chelsea very close to the top of the list when it comes to title favourites. What about the other end of the table there? You mentioned Crystal Palace. They were a team that I had tipped for relegation pre-season and I got some pelters about, oh, you can't judge, judge Patrick Vieira. We don't know what he's going to do yet what he's going to bring to the table yes, we've got can. a better idea now what he's going to bring to the table and it's not a lot by the looks of it I mean a Crystal Palace one of the teams that if we weren't worried about before we should be worried about now and on the flip side of that Watford Brentford two teams that many people fancy to go down they've got their first wins in their first games of the season against not poor opposition for either of them or certainly not games that are expected to win Marley so does that mm-hmm. put them as potentially teams that are out of the mix for relegation uh they're definitely not out of it by any means because there's a long way to go and Mm. you know we're only one game in and all the rest of it but i mean palace are the ones for me where i'm I'm still worried about palace like we got you know i remember a few weeks ago leon said that um we don't know about palace we don't know whether they're going to click whether the manager's any good we don't know whether the players are any uh, are good enough and they're going to take to this new philosophy and he got absolute pelters got for dogs it abused. <laughs> he, there was at least 60 replies to him calling him useless or yeah, you don't know what you're voice. talking about and th- this is one that wound me up you don't know Crystal Palace you don't, you don't need to know Crystal Palace to know Joel Ward he's not a good right back I don't care if he plays for you and he has done for 10 years he's like, it's bizarre it's, it's like look at the team I'm looking at the team now from the weekend Ward as I've just said, Kuyate at centre back. He's not. He's not even a centre back. Um, Tarek Mitchell's very young. Mark Gehi making his debut. He might be. He might be decent. But 
time will tell. Jeffrey Schlupp, not a good player. James MacArthur, nothing from him. Riderwald, who never got a game for about two years. Now he seems to have come into the team and he looks all right. But still, he's is is a defensive midfielder, so is he going to win your games? No. Uh, Jordan Ayew, sometimes brilliant, most of the time not great. Zaha, everything goes through him. If, if it doesn't work, there's nothing there. Mateta, he's done nothing since he came in from, from uh, is it Mainz or yeah, Cologne Mainz. or wherever he was. And then you're looking at looking at the bench, Nathaniel Klein, Christian Benteke, Anderson's a good player, I think, from Fulham. Mm. Uh, Martin Kelly, Jesus. These these players, you can't say as a neutral, you know, he's gonna win you a game, or they're gonna they're gonna do well to keep him quiet. Eze is a big miss, yes, but he's not back until January probably. By January, they could be cut adrift easily. They're quite light on numbers as well, aren't they? So yeah, a they, few injuries and they could be in trouble. More I think, trouble. I think Vieira mentioned they're, they're going to do more business in the next couple of weeks, and f- I mean for his sake, it's got to be quite a lot of business. I think they need another three or four minimum. I think they need a creative midfielder. Could they go and get Ross Barkley from from um, from Chelsea, who isn't playing at all? He'd be better than what they got, in my opinion. But you know, I think they need another striker as well. But it's it's signing one in the space of you know they've got fourteen days left now, so mm. better get moving. Let's talk about relegation candidates, Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when we were talking about predicting where people might finish this season, I think. An optimistic Arsenal fan would put them in the Europa League spots far away from what they should be aiming for in terms of Champions League or maybe even title contention. But having seen what we saw at the weekend, Niall, they are miles, miles off the pace. I sometimes talk about this. And if you go back to when Jurgen Klopp first took over Liverpool, there was a graphic going around not long ago of his first squad that he inherited when Mm. he was at Liverpool. And it is dreadful. And you know what? This Arsenal side reminds me of when Liverpool were just meandering in the top 10. Sometimes they'd finish Europa. A couple of times they finished outside of the European places. What, you mean after Arteta's had about three windows to sort it out? I was going to say, this this is (laughs) mid-building, isn't it? That's the problem. Well, this is what Arsenal remind me of at the moment. And I know a lot of people are tipping Brentford to go down. But actually, in terms of their hunger and desire and the way they play the game and their ability to get the job done, I think they showed that excellently. And again, first game of the season, can't read too much into it. But Arsenal could hardly have got off to a worse start. Mm. You know, I mean, that is the banana skin of all banana skins, isn't it? First team to play um, your first game of the new season is against a team who haven't played Premier League football before. A lot of unproven players who have come up from the championship that are hungry with a manager who is hungry to prove that they're capable to play in the top flight against an Arsenal side who have been lacklustre, who have signed players that shouldn't really be at the club, who have completely flopped and who have lost their way. First season without European football in 25 years. You know, if you're talking about momentum, one club's going one way and, and the other club's going the other way and you don't need me to tell you which one is which. You talk about starting 11s and looking, comparing them to the Liverpool starting 11. You look at that Arsenal starting 11 it's from the weekend. average, isn't it? I, if you... If you think about which of those players would get into another top six team, well, this is the I think thing. there's two, Ars- maybe. Yeah, Arsenal were Arsenal fans were crowing that they signed Emil Smith-Rowe to a new contract when he was interested in a move to He's Aston Villa. He is a good player. He was the best but, player the other night, wasn't he? But, but I mean, goodness me, bunch. if that's the standard we've got to with Arsenal Football Club, and there is a serious issue there. 
Now, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, I really like him. I think he's prolific as a striker, but the last two seasons, he's had some personal issues, which we don't want to speculate or comment on, obviously. But that's affected him, and he hasn't been the same player for whatever reason is going on. I hope he sorts it out, because it's a shame to see him a shadow of the former player that he was. But when you have players like that, who at the time we were saying, when he was scoring goals, that he was carrying Arsenal, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, and now those goals have dried up. What have Arsenal done about it? Mm. Nothing. They have nothing. They have no... There's nothing exciting about Arsenal apart from those young players that are coming through, the likes of Saka, the likes of Willock, who's now gone. You know, it, it's just a real time of concern to be an Arsenal fan. And football has is a very cyclical game. Arsenal will come around again. Their time will come. They will be a, a force to be reckoned with, I'm sure, again in the top flight for... for for some time but that seems like a million years away now a million years away and it did for Liverpool until they got Jurgen Klopp in a top manager who was able to rebuild they were you know they were savvy in the transfer market they made the right decisions they signed players like Andy Robertson for eight million pounds Mo Salah I think cost 40 but you know he's repaid that easily in the amount of goals he scored they picked off Mane from Southampton you know Arsenal were are trying to rebuild now with Ben White at the back, but their issues aren't at the back. Their issues are scoring goals and finding a way to win games. It's just, you know, I'm not even an Arsenal supporter, but they are a great club. And when I was growing up, Arsenal and Manchester United were the two teams that they were the top dogs Mm. in the Premier League. You know, everyone talks about those historic battles between those two teams, Vieira versus Keane, Fergie versus Wenger. You know, Highbury, since they moved out of Highbury, the club hasn't been the same. And I just don't think that there's any arguments against that. Yeah, they finished in the Champions League spots. I think their first season in the Emirates, they got to a Champions League final, but they lost that game and they've never really been anywhere near it ever since. Thierry Henry moved on to Barcelona. It's just been since Wenger's gone, it's been downhill. And unfortunately for them, it's something they're going to have to deal with. And I can understand why the fans are angry, but you know, it just seems grim, doesn't it, for Arsenal? We are going to stick on Arsenal in a minute because we're going to talk about a potential new recruit at the club and the future of Mikel Arteta, which is already being questioned one game into the new season. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, a bit of a transfer roundup to wrap up today's podcast. And we're going to stick with Arsenal for the time being, because apparently Arsenal want to sign Inter Milan's Argentine striker, Loretto Martinez, who's 23. Also, alongside Martinez, they want to bring in Martinez's former boss at Inter Milan, Antonio Conte. If Mikel Arteta is sacked, this is according to Toto Sport in Italy. Niall finished off talking about Arsenal, Marley, so we'll pick up with you pretty worrying for Mikel Arteta that one day into the new season there's always already rumours about who might replace him should he be sacked I know it's a uh, it's reflection of of the, the times really I don't think it's um, sort of unjust to be talking about his future um, I think he's had is it coming up coming up two years in charge now um, one full season last year half the season the season before when they won the FA Cup but have they gone forward massively? I think from it looked like they were gone in um, after they won the FA Cup, and you went into last season thinking they've just won the FA Cup. This is, you know, the time to kick on, and it just hasn't happened. And I think 
the thing for me is that he keeps changing his formation. He keeps not knowing what his best team is. I looked at the weekend and I back. I fancied Arsenal to win before the game, and then I seen that you know Balogun and Martinelli were starting up front, and Martinelli's a good player, but you know if you take Lacazette and Aubameyang out that team for whatever reason, you know I know they were both had the had the problems, but they just become such a less of a team. And you look at you look at. You know, like we were saying before, who who are you scared of in the Arsenal team? You think if you keep Smith Rowe quiet, who's obviously riding the crest of a wave with his new contract, his new shirt number, all the rest of it, you know, his his confidence is high. If you keep him quiet, you, you probably fancy yourself fancy yourself to go and try and win the game. Saka was on the bench. I don't know, it's just they, they, they I don't know what they need. I I don't know. What it is. Why is it Loretta Martinez then? I mean, like Lacazette and Obama Martinez, he's not going to come in. He's not going to come in and change everything. I don't think. I feel like they've got. I feel like they've got two decent strikers there, but they're not asked about what what Arsenal are doing. They're not bothered. But they were both ill, weren't they, before the mm. game? It was like a weird mystery last minute dropout because they had an illness of some kind. It seems it, it stinks of unhappy camps. Well, yeah. And how long have we? How long? How many times have we said over the years about Arsenal players not being happy at their club? Like, there's always something going on. Xhaka hates the fans. Xhaka starts sticking his fingers up at the fans and whatever, and then they all start booing him, and then he wants to leave. Then he almost goes to Rome, and then he doesn't, and then he captain in the team at the weekend. And it's like, you know, that the whole attitude at Arsenal needs to change, and that's the hardest thing to ever do at a club, because how the hell do you change something mm-hmm. that's ingrained in your club? I think ever since Wenger left, and probably ever since their sort of golden generation left, they've always had a problem with... Um, sort of identity and, and players that want to play for them and players that will give their all for Arsenal. And I think a lot of other clubs can have players in their team that you'd back in a scrap and in a fight and when things are getting tough. The only player I'd back at Arsenal now is Tierney. And he's the only one that sort of wants to fight and, and win. And I don't think anybody else does. I think they're either too young to, to take on that responsibility like Smith Rowe and Saka, they're not going to stand up and lead the team because they haven't got that standing in the, in the squad. And everyone that does have that standing in the squad, Xhaka or Bamiang, Lacazette, oh, I've got a stomach bug. Oh, I don't really fancy this. It's a, it's a wet 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 Friday night at Brentford. I don't really fancy that. And Xhaka's there, sort of yeah, playing, but you know, is he is he demanding everything? He's got a nineteen year old that Lukonga next to him who's never played, never kicked a ball in England before. That's hard to drag him through a game, but also. A proper leader could could do that and get more out of his team, and I just think they're, they're so soft and so easy to play against yeah. that they have a real issue. Complete and I, opposite I, I, of what Arsenal used to be as well. well in which yeah. case, Noel, is that who they, they talk about? Conte being the replacement for Arteta. Christ, Conte would get some out of them. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That's <laughs> he, it. He Conte, does, Conte will go some... in, clean out the training ground, yeah, just he, batter everyone, yeah. and say, if you don't fancy it, he, he get a, lost. But Arsenal fans would hate Conte as a manager because they'd hate the style of football he played. Well, Conte won a Premier League with Chelsea with Victor Moses and Marcos Alonso's <laughs> wingbacks. So I think he's a half decent manager. Um, the only thing with Conte is I can't see him going to Arsenal because I don't think the club will loosen the purse strings. And I think Conte does like to make he does like to make signings and he also yeah he, he likes to, to be well compensated for the job he's done. But then again, in terms of Arsenal's investment in players, would they be better off investing in a good manager? Mm. Would that be would that be what they need? I mean, I don't want to write Arteta off because I think 
plenty of teams will be undone by Brentford this season. I think Brentford will surprise a few. I don't think that they'll be, you know, solidly safe like we saw Sheffield United do a couple of seasons ago. But I definitely think they'll pick up a few wins here and there, which will which will surprise a few people. But Conte is a top manager. And that is something that Arsenal probably haven't had for a while. I mean, Unai Emery, I thought, was a, de- a decent manager. You know, he's gone and won a European trophy with Villarreal, um, like straight after leaving Arsenal. And, you know, is it is it something ingrained in the club, like Marley says, where the culture of Arsenal has changed over the years? The move from Highbury, a different venue, a different type of player, maybe a different style of football as well. You think back to the Arsenal teams of old, they always had the best English players. Mm. You know, like Adams and, Ashley you know, Cole. Ashley Cole and Seaman in sticks and all of that Jeffers. sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, there's a few flops there as well, to be fair. But... um. But in terms of what Arsenal used to be and what they are now, it's like two different clubs. And, you know, we talk about evolvement and generation. I mean, to evolve is a good word to use, but I always thought evolve had positive connotations. You evolve into something better than what you are before. Um, hasn't really been the case for Arsenal. And that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Um, you know, if Conte comes in, I can't see the current ownership at Arsenal giving him the money to spend that he would want to improve the squad. Because I think if we're sat here you know, around three microphones saying Arsenal squad is poor and they need to improve it if they want to get into the Champions League. What do you think a top manager like Conte is going to think? Let's cover off a couple of other teams and their transfer rumours. Interestingly for Arsenal, though, one final word on them. Next two games, Chelsea at home and then Manchester City away. And you know what? They might win one of those because that is the sort of team that Arsenal are. Was it last year when... um... When they played Chelsea on Boxing Day, was it? And they were, I think they were 15th in the league and they turned them over, was it 3-0 yeah. or 3-1 or something like that? And it just came out of nowhere. So, you know, they've they've got to do something similar, really, because they're just stagnating at the minute. Let's talk about Arsenal's arch rivals, Tottenham Hotspurs, because they're in the market for a centre-back, apparently. If you looked at their defence against Manchester City, I think a lot of Manchester City fans were licking their lips at the prospect. Uh, They want to bring in Pau Torres at the moment, but he's reluctant to go to Spurs because they don't have Champions League football. He'd rather stay with Villarreal. That's according to Marca in Spain. Is this a problem that Spurs are going to have, Niall, in terms of the fact that it's very difficult to see them classed as an elite club now? So they don't have Champions League football, they haven't won anything since the time of the dinosaurs. And so <laughs> even if they do get this 120 million quid from Harry Kane, how are they going to spend it on good players? Because the good players have better options. There's no guarantee that that money will be spent on good players. And I think that is a key question when it comes to Tottenham. We've seen it before. I think you've said this on in the past on the podcast, Marley, about the Gareth Bale money they got a few seasons ago and where they spent that. You know, where, where, Paulinho, hmm, Soldado, yeah, Lamella. Didn't go well for them, did it? And... It's tough to replace a player who's so important and integral to a side with the money you get for them. I mean, just look at Aston Villa, for example. I mean, it's too early to tell whether Leon Bailey, Danny Ings and Emi Buendia will work, but they lost their opening game. So, I mean, immediately people will start Mm. going, oh, hang on a sec, there's a problem there. In terms of their elite club status, they've got an elite stadium. They've got excellent training facilities. However, an elite stadium doesn't mean that you're an elite team on the pitch. And... But they haven't got a manager even that will... It's not oh, like a Rafa... He's a great manager, Nuno Spirito Santo, but he's not got the status of a Rafa Benitez or a Carlo Ancelotti that fine, automatically attracts they've, players. They've tried that. They've tried that with Mourinho and it didn't work. Mm. They tried that with Pochettino and they sacked him. You know, And before that, you've got to think not 10 years ago, Martin Yol, Juan de Ramos. These people were managing Tottenham. 
and probably Nuno Espirito Santo, I'd say, was as good as, if not probably mm. a bit better than but those guys. in terms guys. of attracting players in, in terms of that carrot on a stick that brings in the big-name players, he's not one of those, unless they happen to be a Portuguese and <laughs> Pre- Precisely. I can see what you're saying there, but if you're talking about an elite club status... Tottenham are one of the top six in terms of the big six clubs in English football. The Super League, obviously, you know, we're in the, still in the wake of that a little bit. Um, but they are undoubtedly one of the six biggest clubs in the country. Now, that might not be the case on the field. And it's it's quite embarrassing when, you know, a team isn't as good on the pitch as what their status suggests they should mm. be. But then in terms of an elite club, they're... they're couple of steps ahead of Arsenal and we were just talking about Arsenal then I think I think we know who's the better team out of the two mm-hmm. so I, I definitely think that there are issues at Tottenham to deal with I think that the climate we find ourselves in financially and socio-economically with the pandemic and everything like that is always going to be difficult for football clubs to get their heads around the stubbornness of the chairman is always going to be a problem Daniel Levy you know I think this whole Harry Kane saga is, is going to make life difficult for them going forward um but Tottenham, I think for them, it, it's just a case of seeing how they get on, really, which is which is disappointing because they are a club that should be in the Champions League. Um, they, they tried to establish themselves as a, a Champions League side and they did so for a couple of seasons, but maybe that window's passed them by. And I think it's so important that you get your recruitment right. And you look at a team like Leicester City, who we so often praise for signing the right players, that's kept them in and around the top four mm. for a long, long time. I mean, there was a couple of transfer windows not long ago where Tottenham didn't sign any players. You know, you can't do that. You can't do that. I mean, I, I know you're trying to be stringent uh, and try and save money and, and do things the right way and keep a core of the squad together. But I think the season after they got to the Champions League final, they made no signings. I mean, that's just not sensible. Manchester City won the league last season. They won the cup, got to a Champions League final. They've just burned 100 million on Grealish and might even go 150 on Kane. Mm. So, I mean, you're talking about teams spending while they're on top. Tottenham were near the top for a period and they didn't do that. And maybe that will come back to haunt them. Speaking of Harry Kane replacements, Spurs are being linked with a move for Patrick Bamford from Leeds United at the moment. Leeds United trying to tie him down to a long-term contract, according to the Telegraph at the moment. One more deal I want to discuss, and it's Chelsea, who are turning their attention to Borussia Dortmund's Jude Bellingham, who, according to the article on Eurosport, is 28 not like his age was mentioned enough during the Euros. He's 18, guys. Get it right. Um, they want him before the transfer window closes. It's an alternative to Declan Rice, apparently. So they're turning away from West Ham's Declan Rice towards Jude Bellingham. Could that be a smart move for Chelsea, Marley? Similar type of player, but probably a bit of a financial saving compared to Rice. I, th- I think you only want to talk about this so we can stop talking about Rice to please. Chelsea, which yes, is please. definitely <laughs> definitely going to happen in the near future. Um, no, this is... I don't believe this for a second. I think it's just paper talk. I think yeah. why would why would Dortmund go and sort of hamstring themselves in the last couple of weeks of the window mm. with by selling probably their best centre midfielder now? Um he's doing everything right. He's doing he's playing football, he's uh, standing out in that Dortmund team, he's in the England squad, he's playing games at the Euros, he'll probably go to the World Cup in fourteen months or whatever it is. So why? Why leave? And why? Where would he get in that Chelsea team? Like Kante and uh, Jorginho aren't to be moved. There's two centre midfield spots really there. They've also got Kovacic's backup, who's not a bad player. And four four Champions Leagues, he's won. So it's not exactly <laughs> like he's a massive drop off. 
Well, that's what I was going to say. Chalabar before can even play there. Do as they well. even need Mount as well. a player to play in this position because no. they have got a depth? Of, I mean, do they, can they just be patient and they can wait till next season and go after Rice or go after Bellingham and, and bringing in them because they have got a wealth and they've got. I think Billy Chal- Gilmore can play I there feel as like well, even though he's on Chelsea line. aren't going to sign Bellingham. No, I mean, so ju- what, what sort like of a story is? He's eighteen. He's just gone to Dortmund. As if Chelsea would sign an eighteen-year-old. Why? Would they, when have they ever done that? They just sign players that are mm. established. Mm. And like Marley said, you know, you've got players like Kante, Jorginho ahead of him. The best he's going to get is time off the bench, which he gets at Dortmund anyway. He probably gets more starts at Dortmund. Yeah. He's more likely to get a chance. And Chelsea have got these academy players coming through. You know, why would they sign an 18-year-old for X million when they've already got plenty of talent in the academy that they can call upon? I feel like Chelsea's approach is just buy all the players and then no one else can have <laughs> the players. Like, do you know what I mean? It's bizarre. Like, their, their academy... This is the the big thing for me with Chelsea. The only sort of issue they've got, and it's probably quite a big issue, is the fact that players now are coming through their academy and going, right, where can I go? Look at Livramento. He won uh, Youth Player of the Year last year at Chelsea, and he's looked at the team and gone, Reese James is three years older than me, four years older than me. He's probably going to be right back for the next eight years minimum. And Azpilicueta's captain of the club, so I'm not going to move him either. So I'm going to Southampton where I'll play every week. And he kept Kyle Walker-Peters on the bench at the weekend who was one of Southampton's best players last season. So, you know, he's doing that. Gilmore's happy to go out on loan because he's, he's thinking about his future. Um, You've got many players in that situation. Hudson is always probably thinking about his future very, very seriously mm-hmm. as well right now. Uh, Abraham's not sticking around to find out what what happens with him. He's going. Um, He's signing for Roma today, apparently. So, I don't know. With, with Chelsea, it's like how many... At what point do you use this academy, or is it just a money maker for you? Because at the minute, it's it's making them ten million here, fifteen million there, um, and it's maybe an issue they have to look at. But you know, as long as you've got the money, they can keep buying, and that doesn't so show any signs of, of slowing down. I don't think. I do think it's slightly strange that Hudson Odoi is not being linked with a move away. It was a few months ago he was linked with a potential move to Germany, but that's gone very quiet. So yeah. interesting to see whether he stays on the Chelsea books. In three weeks' time, which is when the transfer window ends, there's plenty more transfer news to come between now and then from Football Social Daily. And you can get the latest on your team as well via the website sport-social.co.uk. That's it for today's podcast. Cheers for your time, boys. Cheers, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll see you tomorrow for another Football Social Daily, back to seven days a week. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.